You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. How would you respond to life-changing news, whether good or bad? That actually was the question that researchers at Washington University wanted to study. How how do people respond to life-changing news, good or bad? And they ended up concluding that there's two different kinds of people that determines their response. There's information seekers. Those who, when they're given news, either good or bad, want to ask questions, want to know as much as they can as possible about what's happened. Then there are information aversionists. These are people who don't want to know everything and would prefer to handle stuff in small bite-sized pieces or possibly not hear it until the very last minute. Well, we're going to look at a very familiar passage today in talking about the glory of Christ in the gospel. And I think when we come to this scene, which is so familiar, which has been acted out probably in thousands of churches throughout history with kids in bathrobes and robes, that we should be information seekers. We should say, what is in this scene that tells us not only was this announcement good news then, but it continues to be the best possible news today. Uh, And so turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And in this very familiar narrative, we're going to kind of peel away three different layers. Uh, The first is simply the surprising news. This this is definitely surprising news that's announced. Then we'll consider that it's exciting news, and then we'll come full circle to it is life-changing news. So surprising news, exciting news, and then life-changing news. But look at me at verses 8 and 9. Uh, and one commentator writing on this passage says, it is, it is so simple, yet it is so profound. And I think the tendency is we're so familiar with this passage 
that we often miss the significance and the surprising nature of it. Verses 8 and 9 read, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, if I were to ask you, what are your plans for tomorrow? And I know what most of you do for a living or what you might do. I wouldn't be surprised if Leslie said she was heading to the bank tomorrow. Or if, Jean, or if Jim said he had to go to the school or do something else. Or Terry's going to the Geisel. Uh, Heather's going to talk. That would not be surprising. So you have here, it starts out like an ordinary shift for these shepherds. What are they doing? They're ordinary work. They're, they're heading out to watch over their sheep, especially at night when there's other predators and things. So nothing is very unusual until you get to what Luke says. This announcement first takes place in the, the least likely location. So you notice it simply says they were out in the fields watching their flocks at night. Some translations have they were out in the shepherd's fields. Now, we really don't know the precise location, but it's within an area of maybe two to five miles outside of Bethlehem. So you want to think for a moment, if you were going to make a very important announcement, and we often hear athletes who, you know, leak out to the press, are going to make some significant announcement tomorrow at such and such a time, you know, all the major networks want to carry it. They're all there. This surprising announcement is going to be picked in the least likely location. Not, not in Jerusalem, not, not even in Bethlehem, but in a town in the outskirts of Jerusalem. Really, nowhere it's going to be announced. And think if you were a PR person, that would not be the location you would want to pick. And you certainly wouldn't pick doing it in the middle of the night, you know, when most people are going to be sleeping. But that's exactly what we see here. Notice the recipients, as we well know, are shepherds. Now, the angel appears to Mary, appears to Joseph, but, but this announcement of the Savior's birth goes to shepherds. Again, just kind of think, this is surprising. This is shocking. Why not to the priests? Why not to the scribes uh, who study the Old Testament? You know, they're, they're the ones that should be like the first on the list here. But shepherds. Now, it may not strike us as odd, but there's two different perspectives on shepherds. In the New Testament, they're given a very favorable perspective. In other words, God is compared to being a shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. And Jesus gives many parables where it's the shepherd is commended for, for seeking after the lost. That was not the perspective of the typical religious leader in the first century. So there's writings of first century rabbis who refer to shepherds as thieves and cheats. They're people who are out in the field. Uh, they're taking care of sheep. They can profit off the sheep because maybe the owner doesn't realize how many sheep there actually are. So they can steal. They can sell them off and make some money on the side. Uh, they were not reliable. They couldn't be credible witnesses in court. 
So in, in the mindset of that culture, these would be the least likely recipients that you would pick to have a message this important to go to. So it's surprising news from the location, secondly, from the recipients, and then we simply ramp that up even more, uh, the source of this announcement. Notice again in verse 9, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They understood that this was not a dream, that this was not something they'd eaten that night for dinner and was bothering them. Here, somehow, God sent an angel to speak to them. And you have the very typical response. They're terrified. They're, they're scared. Like, this is not what you would expect on an ordinary night where we're, we're just watching our sheep, like we've done every night, maybe for 20 or 30 years. And so as you consider this scene, notice it says the glory of the Lord. Now, we all heard this phrase glory, but to stop and think, what does that actually mean? The word itself means brilliance or splendor. And maybe just think of something that is so bright that you have to turn away or you have to squint and avoid direct eye contact with. It's clear that God's presence is there as this angel will, will speak. And then he simply says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Again, think of brilliance, think of splendor. The, the word that Luke chooses there, shown, is only used twice in the New Testament. Both times in a book that Luke's the author. So use it here. The other time you find it is in the book of Acts when Paul is relating his salvation experience. And you may recall where he's on the road to Damascus. He's heading there to find more Christians he can persecute. And the glory of Jesus Christ appears before him. And that's the same word that's used here in shown. In other words, a, a brilliance, a brightness that, that pretty much just brings you to your knees. That's the experience that happens here. Not, not a typical ordinary night as a shepherd. Look at me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul gives us some explanation. Why does God do things in a surprising way? Not, not according to how we would have planned it, thinking our way is best, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 23 through 25. Paul's writing to a major city, Corinth. Uh, they were known for their philosophers, uh, for their pursuit of academics, uh, a major city, a thriving commercial center, uh, a place where you might say has the potential for everything. But then listen to what he says, speaking of his own ministry and the ministry of the church, beginning at verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Paul is saying, this is how God always does things. Not, not according to our world's approach, 
But the foolishness of this displays the power of God. It displays where our focus should be on the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we come back to Luke chapter 2, we are reminded of this surprising news that goes to the least likely, to the least expected place, but has come from God. But then let's go on to verses 10 through 12. Not only is this surprising news, uh, it is extremely exciting news. And notice verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. One of the overtones of Luke's gospel is particular attention to those who are on the fringes of society. So shepherds, um, women are one of the groups that would, in a first century culture, would have been on the fringes of society. Luke addresses them. He addresses lepers, those who would be outcasts in society. So notice as you read this account, that you have a very personal message. Just notice verse 10. As you look at the personal pronouns, the angel said to them, I bring you good news that will be for all people. Then verse 11, a savior has been born to you. Like I remember we're talking about shepherds. They, they know how people look at them. They know that the religious priest said, you, you guys are unclean. You know, you're, you're working out in the fields. You're with animals. You're, you miss the routine synagogue assemblies. You, you can't be worshiping God. And now this angel is saying a Savior has been born to, to you. Notice as well, verse 12, a sign will be given to you, and you will find the baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. Well, what a personalized message that would have been exciting news to these outcasts. And if you want to run with that thought, weren't we all outcasts? Paul says in Ephesians, all of us were separated from God. And yet, through Christ, through this announcement of good news, by faith, we are now in the family of God. But look closely again at verse 10 for some very familiar phrases. And as soon as I read this verse, uh, the scene that comes to my mind is when our kids were younger, uh, after the Christmas Eve service, we'd go upstairs and we'd act out this little scene. Uh, and I can remember they were kind of young, so we were always trying to shorten the lines. And whoever had, you know, this, this angel announcement would simply say something like, I've got great news for you. You know, we, we shortened it up. But that really is what it says. And notice the words. Good news here is the root for the word to evangelize. So when you talk about evangelize, what you're saying is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we captured in the choruses we were singing, that good news has to include not just his pre-existence, like who he is, was and is his incarnation, his coming to earth, it has to include also his death and his resurrection and, and his return in judgment to 
judge those who have rejected that light and to reward those who have embraced Jesus Christ. So the Advent season isn't just reflecting on, well, Jesus was such a cute baby. Yeah, we all love babies. We all love to hear babies Googling and making all kinds of noises. Do that at our age, and people will call the authorities about that. But, you know, we, we like children. But we're not just celebrating Jesus was cute as a child. He's a king. And so as you reflect on this, this is good news. But then it goes on. It's not just good news. It's good news of great joy. There's another piece. If you ever want to read through the Gospel of Luke, which I'd encourage you, Luke often connects joy and salvation together. So he does that in Luke 15, does in a number of places. He speaks of joy, and then right away he jumps to salvation. Because our joy isn't in this time of year, which if you watch commercials, that seems to be the thought. Well, we're, we're happier. People have a little extra jump in their step because, oh, it's this time of year. It's the Christmas season. That, that's not what the angel is announcing here. You know, this is just for this year for this time of season. This is good news of great joy because of who Jesus Christ is. And so connecting joy with salvation is an important reminder to us that the joy talked about here is a deep inner disposition that will show itself in outward expression. And, and you want to think about that. It's not joy in circumstances, but, but joy in Christ. But then why is it such good news? Because that news, as I said, is going to have to include he came to die to save us. He will be humiliated. He will be mistreated. He will be rejected by most people. So how is this good news? Well, again, it is the fulfillment of God's promises. Look at me at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. We want to realize that running through the entire scriptures is the promise of a redeemer, the, the promise of a savior. And if you go to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, here would be the start of a thread that runs through all of scripture. So sin enters the world. In Genesis 3, sin has entered humanity. God issues out the punishments for Adam and Eve and the serpent. But then you get to verse 15, and this has been called the proto-evangelism. In other words, the, the first announcement of the gospel in, in a very like seed form. When it says, and I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, although it doesn't say Jesus's name there, as you trace through, the promises of God in Scripture, Jesus will crush and defeat Satan. He will be triumphant and is triumphant. And that's why when you get to Luke, that's why this is exciting news. Again, not only were the, the shepherds ostracized, but, but you have a people who are living under the authority of the Roman Empire, who, who is not user-friendly toward toward their faith and devotion to God. 
So again, turn back with me to Luke chapter 2. And we don't want to miss the significance of three titles that appear in verse 11. And each has tremendous weight and theological significance. If you were to try to look in a concordance and say, well, where else are these titles found in one verse? You're going to find nowhere else in the New Testament do all these titles appear in one verse. They all appear in different places, but, but Luke's description here is unique, which tells us it's significant that we should look at it. So notice he says, today in the town of David, again, fulfilling prophecy in Micah, in other places, where would this Messiah come from? That he says, he, a Savior has been born. So there's the first one. He is a Savior. He is a deliverer, a rescuer. Now, the very concept of that word implies you could not save yourself. You, you do not have the ability to rescue yourself from sin. So one must come from outside of you. That is Jesus Christ. But not only is he a savior, notice it says he is Christ the Lord. He is Christ. He is the anointed one, the promised Messiah. You may well remember Matthew's account of the wise men who come looking for the Messiah. And when they ask the religious leaders, where is he to be born? There's no hesitation. They know the answer. They say, yeah, it says in the Old Testament, this is where he's going to be born. Notice it did not move them to take action. They were kind of indifferent to that. But it was not a shock that this is where the Messiah would be born. Jesus, through his word, revealed that through the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So he's Savior, he's Deliverer, he's Christ, he is the Anointed One. And then you have the title Lord. Uh, this is the equivalent of, if you're reading in the Old Testament, you see the title in all capital, Lord, Yahweh. So Yahweh is a Hebrew word. When that was translated over in Greek into the New Testament, the equal equivalent of that was this title, Lord, stressing his absolute sovereignty. So this baby who will be in a basically feeding trough is the one who called all into creation, who reigns over all, fully God and yet becomes fully man without sin. If you've been reading the, the devotional uh, Advent book from John Piper, and we do have copies in the back if anyone wants one, they're still there. Uh, the reading for day four was Piper was pointing out how there was this census that Quirinus took. And everyone had to travel back to their birth town. And in that devotional reading, Piper emphasizes how, how interesting that God moved the whole world to put two people specifically in place to fulfill his word. I think that gives us a better understanding that this is the absolute sovereign one. What, what exciting news to say, he has come to save his people. And then notice in verses 13 and 14, this sort of angelic confirmation that follows. And it says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. 
Very important, the wording of that last phrase. It, it's not peace on all the earth or whoever remembers this occasion. It's peace on men on whom his favor rests. In other words, there's a promise of this exciting news will bring peace to those who receive it by faith. And I don't need to remind you, we live in a world that is seeing continually the absence of peace. Not, not just politically among different parties, uh, but look at the international landscape. You know, we, we see unrest, lack of peace. Uh, we talk about the concern of, of escalating mental health issues among all different ages of people. We're, we're seeing a sense of despair, hopelessness, uh, pessimism. And yet in this exciting news is the announcement in a world that even Jesus said will have trials and tribulations, I have overcome the world that you might have peace. So I don't think the shepherds were fully grasping, well, what does that peace mean in Christ? But it was something the world could not give. And when we think about it from a New Testament perspective, in Christ, you have peace with God. You're, you're restored to your right relationship with him. But then there's another peace you have. You have the peace of God that dwells in your hearts in Christ Jesus. So you're not only made right with him, you're, you're made right and whole within. And so no wonder it is seen as exciting news. But if it ended there, we'd be left with sort of a question mark. What difference does this make? You know? Yeah, it's surprising news. It was exciting news. What do we do next? And so you see at the end of this, really in verses 15 through 20, we have a glimpse into how this was life-changing news. Uh, and immediately before us is the impact this had on the shepherds. And we have no names of these shepherds. We have no further account. Like, well, what happened after this? You know, how, how were they changed? But it's very evident they were changed. And you notice this in verse 16. After this group of angels praise God and they suddenly depart as quickly as we can assume they filled the and lit up the world around them. That it says, so they hurried off. Like they didn't dismiss this. They weren't like, well, let's let's get a good night's sleep. Let's let's kind of think about this. And if we all feel the same way in the morning. We'll head out. I mean, they left in the middle of the night. Why? They, they believed this was life-changing news. This was out of the ordinary. This was a message not just they needed to hear, which they did, but, but their people of Israel needed to hear. But then go on verse 17. Notice it says, when they had seen them, so after they arrived, saw Mary and Joseph and the baby, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. You don't spread something that you think is false. You don't spread something that isn't exciting. You don't spread something that isn't life-changing. And you have that same word where it says they spread, if you back up to verse 15, when it says the shepherds said to one another, that, that's the same verb. They said they spread to one another. They, they talked about this. They, they couldn't be quiet about what had happened. I mean, when was the last time we had someone to say to us, 
you know, can you please stop talking about Jesus? I know you're excited about it, but tone it down. I mean, that, that's how we should feel with this exciting, surprising news. Then verse 20 says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. What, what a picture now. They, they return. And, and I think this is striking. They return probably where? To their ordinary, everyday lives. But what is different now? They return magnifying God and talking about what was told to them that has been fulfilled. And then in the between of all of this, you have just a brief comment in verse 19 about Mary. Each of them are tremendously impacted, but, but it expresses itself a little bit differently. Notice verse 19 says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I think we need both in our life. We need to express it. We, we need to share it with others. But we also sometimes need to deeply reflect on what happened here and the announcement that was made. That it is true. We see the glory of Christ, who he is, in the good news of what Christ has done for us. That if you don't have Christ, you don't have good news. And so we, like Mary, should ponder this, think deep about it, seriously about it. Because it's very evident from this narrative, those who have received this good news are to reflect it. Those who have received the glory of Christ in the gospel, we are now to reflect the glory of Christ in our lives and in our conversations. I noticed the last chorus that we'll be doing today is a little town of Bethlehem. Uh, and you may have noticed or may know it's written by Phillips Brooks. Uh, he was a Presbyterian minister. And, and he wrote this intending it for his church, for his uh, Sunday school class to sing. And he wrote it after he had been on a trip to the Holy Land. And he says he was journeying at night on Christmas Eve in the Holy Land between Jerusalem and Bethlehem when he started to, to kind of write this tune in his head. And one of the fascinating lines in it, where it speaks of, in Bethlehem, all the hopes and fears are met in you tonight. That's exactly what we see happened here in Luke. Everything about life, hopes, fears, how you respond to life-changing news is met when you know Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious God, let us take these words to heart. May they express themselves in our lives because it is good news that a Savior has been born today and he is Christ the Lord. Amen.